I'm very, very expectant about what I think God wants to do in this, in this reading. And I want to read this with, with all. Psalm 19, verse 1. This is a psalm of David to the choir master. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. David is looking at the created order, the skies, the heavens, the, the galaxies. And he says, I, I don't just see them, I, I hear them, that God is speaking in some way through them. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun. David literally looks at sunrises and it reminds him of this next verse. It's like a bridegroom coming out, leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. In other words, David is saying, God is speaking. Creation is speaking. If you've ever had your breath taken away at a sunset or been in awe at, at a mountain, it wasn't just the mountain. It was the one who made the mountain. It wasn't just a beautiful sunset. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name, the scripture says. So in some way, there's a, there's a general revelation. There's a general speaking that, that God does through his creation, but it's not enough. And we know it because someone can go and have their breath taken away with a sunset and a mountain, and it's still not gonna connect the dots, which is why we need where he shifts now in verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want to talk about the epidemic of biblical illiteracy. The epidemic of biblical illiteracy. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five, have a seat. Looking at the most recent Gallup polls, we are told that, quote, Americans revere the Bible, they just don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. 
Less than half of Americans can name the four gospels. 60% cannot name five of the 10 commandments. 82% believe God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse, even though it absolutely is not. 12% believe Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Over 50% of high school grads thought Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife. If your name is Sodom, do not marry Gomorrah, for sure. A large number of one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham, not Jesus Christ. Increasingly, Gallup says, the U.S. has become biblically illiterate. Samara, I would like you to join me up here because... I want to talk about this epidemic of biblical literacy today, and I've just read to you from Psalm 19 some of the benefits of people that have given themselves to the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving, or some versions say refreshing the soul. There's refreshing that comes. The testimony says makes wise the simple. There's wisdom that comes. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. There's joy that comes from the Word of God. Commandments enlighten the eyes. There's light that comes from the word of God. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. If you lack endurance, the word of God gives you endurance. The rules are true. It gives you knowledge of what is true and what is not. It says that in keeping them, there's a warning and there's a reward. If you've ever needed a warning or a reward, it's in this book. Samara, we've been talking, and you sort of got me on this. This is our kids' director, by the way, who I love a lot. It's also my daughter, (laughs) if anyone didn't know that, all right? So this is my girl. (laughs) And you came to me months ago, and you're like, Dad, actually, I don't remember if you said pastor or you said dad. You said, we got a problem. People do not know the Bible. And you got my mind going, and I'm letting you guys know we are launching, that I'm really letting you know, we are launching an initiative that we, that you, basically it's a biblical literacy initiative that this is the promise I'm making you. If you will cooperate with what we're going to try to do and make it and do in discipleship, you give us two years, you are going to be biblically literate. That's good. <laughs> All right. Now, I think your microchurches have got to kick in. You're going to have to, be, you're going to, have to cooperate with all this. But I want you to kind of yeah. give me your passion because we were even talking about like the Trinity. Yeah. Give me the burden you had as right. this conversation started for me. Yeah, so a couple years ago, I was leading a group of kids and there were probably like 30, 35 kids in the room. And I was talking about God and I referred to God as the Father. And their faces just looked so blank, like they did not know who I was talking about. And so it kind of dawned on me like, oh, we talk about Jesus a lot. We don't talk about the Father all the time. And so I just wanted to take like a quick poll. I was curious, do you know like who God is? I kind of asked, who, who is God? Who comes to mind when you think of God? So across the room, kids raised their hand and they shouted out. You want to guess what they shouted out? Jesus, Jesus is always the right answer in kids' ministry, yeah. So they shouted Jesus, like, great, okay, we got that. So Jesus is God, he is the son of God, yes. What else? And there were a couple kids in the room who were like, I know God's a father. So I'm like, okay, a couple kids. But when I looked at the rest, there was a girl in the back, and I remember she was literally on this side, and she shouted out, God's a daddy? And I said, yeah, God's a daddy, and he's a really good daddy, and he loves us like a really good father. And so then we kind of kept going, and I said, okay, there's one more thing we need to know about God right now. Do you know who it is? 
and like crickets across the room. I said, okay, so the Holy Spirit is God. Has anyone ever heard of the Holy Spirit? And I had one kid raise their hand. Is that like the Holy Ghost? My grandma talked about the Holy Ghost. Like, is that the Holy Ghost? I'm like, yeah, (laughs) Holy Spirit. So God is a father, God is Jesus, God's the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity. And if you don't understand, that's okay. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand too. And when I don't understand, I just ask God, God, help me understand. Like we could ask God to help us to do now, that. Now, by the way, we believe there is only one God. Yes. Like this is where God is. There is one. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one, but keep right. going. So it is complicated and it is hard. But like I said, whenever I, whenever I get to that point, I'm like, it's hard. I just ask God, God, help me understand. Help me have faith. Help me believe. That's part of the point of faith, which is what we're teaching our kids too. Sometimes it might be hard, but we can ask God to help us. So anyway, this particular moment got me started to think about how with our kids, I remember taking this group of kids who was like early elementary school. Many of them have grown up in church and have been in church. And many of them I had known for a long time. And I remember hitting this moment of like, oh my goodness, if anyone should know that God is a father, it's the church kids, like it's the children who are growing up in church, hearing about God every week and have amazing parents and all of the things. But then I remember thinking, oh, well, the Trinity is kind of complicated. I can understand why someone might be like, we're not gonna tackle that one yet. But then on the other hand, I remember thinking, but I don't want our kids to grow up and not even know who God is, not even know that God is a father or who the Holy Spirit is until they're like in high school. Like I want them to know who he is now. And so I remember hitting this moment and recognizing, okay, the goal isn't necessarily that they understand all the nuances and all the things. I do believe young kids can, by the grace of God, he can help them pull it in and understand it. We might not always see that or know it because we can't see inside their hearts, but he can, which is amazing. But I remember having this moment saying, okay, I want to at least expose them to the language, to the words, to the Bible. I don't want to leave stuff out just because I think we have to. I want them to really know what's in here. And I remember even for me as a kid, grace was a hard concept. We were talking about that last week as a fluency, one of our fluencies, grace. I remember grace being really hard for me to receive and accept. And I remember having this moment as an adult later and thinking about all of these people in the Bible, like heroes of the faith that we talk about, even somebody like David. And I remember having moments as a kid where a lot of the Bible stories that got highlighted were like David killing Goliath and him as like this mighty warrior and king. But I didn't remember always talking about him later. And at least in church, I remember not talking about him and Bathsheba where he he sinned and he had like these falls. And I remember as, like, as I got older, when I was more in my high school years, reading the Bible on my own and even reading stories of people in the Bible who really messed up. And I remember having conversations with my dad and saying, I'm confused. Jesus came from him. And I remember my dad saying, go talk to your pastor. (laughs) Good luck, right? I remember saying, I remember him responding and saying, yeah, that's the whole point. Like God used people who were really messed up and sinned a lot And like, that's where Jesus came from. And these are the people we call heroes of the faith. But I remember having a moment saying, well, why didn't I learn more about all the mess ups that they had early on? And I remember talking to people and them saying, well, you were young. We, we didn't want to get into that yet, but I remember having this moment saying, well, if I would just, if I would have known the whole story, if we hadn't left all that out, like, I I don't know, maybe I would have received grace a little sooner. Maybe it would have clicked a little bit more. So anyway, part of my passion right now with our kids is even, I don't want to leave a lot of stuff out. I want to tell them the full story. So you've started studying stuff about the kids because that's how you came to me and you're like, 
some kids make it, some kids don't. Yes. What's the common denominator on those that do? Yeah. So what research is showing right now is kids who choose to continue following Jesus and are strong in their faith past the age of 18, the common denominator right now is scripture. If they would read the Bible, and what they found is that children who from elementary years all the way to like 18, those who are reading the Bible weekly, at least once a week, are far more likely to continue following Jesus post high school. Like that's what the numbers reading are the showing. Reading the Bible at least weekly. Does at watching weekly. a VeggieTales cartoon count? Does not count. Does listening to Joy FM for five minutes Does count? Does not count. Okay, okay. So getting in you the mean Bible, like reading, an actual... reading the Bible. Oh, okay. Yes reading the Bible weekly. And what the numbers are showing is that even with teenagers who do this consistently at least once a week, the research is showing that depression rates are much lower. Anxiety is significantly lower. I was talking to Pastor Brooke a moment ago and she was sharing that even yesterday in their training with all their leaders, they were sharing all this info like, hey, we need to get our students reading the Bible because what we're finding is if teenagers will read the Bible, depression rates drop, suicidal thoughts drop, that you're seeing these things that are dropping that your average teenager is struggling with and it might be higher, but the common denominator is those who are reading the Bible at least once a week are having significantly better results in those areas, which so is just awesome. So do you believe awesome. that they want to be biblically fluent and literate? Is that a good idea? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like if we're showing that for kids, this yeah. is what's helping them continue to follow Jesus on their own. I'm like, maybe you're coming in and you haven't read the Bible yet. Like, Commit to it. Like if the research is showing there's all these positive effects with anxiety, depression. If you're a college student and you want. Don't preach my sermon. Don't preach my sermon. If you're a college student and you want to get good grades, there's a part of me that's like, I dare you. Just try it. Like read the Bible more. See if your grades improve. I'm just curious. Let us know and we'll start a research study on it together or something. But I'm curious. Okay, now one more thing. If you are. If you are a parent, we want to partner with you and help support you with discipling your children. And we're committed to helping your kids grow in their desire to want to read the Bible. We want them to do this on their own. And so we've created, like he talked about, they're creating like this adult plan to help you get go through the Bible and become more biblically, biblically fluent. Is that how we're saying it? Literate. I want the same for our kids. And so we're creating a family Bible initiative. The kids love calling it the the FBIs. So if you hear us calling about the FBI, that's what we're talking about. So our family Bible initiative, we're doing weekly devotionals where some of them are set up for you to read the Bible with your child during the week. And it'll help like even explain what the chapter is that you just read. Sometimes there's an activity with it, but we wanna partner with you to help you do that. As well as we're encouraging kids to start practicing having time with Jesus by themselves. And so some of the devos in the week are not necessarily set up for the family. It might be more like, hey, we want you to start to do this on your own. So that's part of our goal with it. So if you want one of those, they're in the Greenhouse app. So you can find the devos in the app. And you can also find it in our kids' area on the welcome desk. We'll have them there when you leave. Can you give it up for Samara? Hey, Amma. Let me put a scripture to say what she just said. Hosea chapter four, verse one says, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. And skipping down to verse six, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you for being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, 
I also will forget your children. Matthew 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, what food is to a body, what carbs and protein and vegetables are to a body, the word of God is to a soul. It bothers me when I go to the gym and I see people that are getting physically fit and they're more devoted to their physical body's fitness than our souls are to our soul's fitness. I'm longing for us to become a biblically literate church. Now, we use the word fluency because we have fluencies in our church. We talked last week about the, the a couple weeks ago about the Holy Spirit fluency. Last week was the grace fluency. This is the, the scripture fluency. Now, I speak Spanish. I don't speak Spanish well. I'm not a great Spanish speaker. You know, you'll say I'm very aware. Any of you Spanish speakers? Uh, I, I learned Spanish. I started by getting vocabulary words. The problem with vocabulary words is it makes you think you're a little smarter than you are. And because you can get a few, like you might know the word baño and you might know the word calle and you might know the word carro, you know, and, and so you could tell someone, you know, don't go to el baño in la calle or whatever, you know, you've got little things that you can say. So you could get a few vocabulary words. The problem is vocabulary doesn't mean you know how to put a sentence together. You can know vocabulary, but you don't yet know the sentences. And you might even be able to put a sentence together, but you, don't, you can't put a paragraph together. And so what can happen is you learn enough vocabulary to be a little dangerous. And so someone comes up and says, hola, como estas? And you're like, donde esta el baño? And you're like, wait, that's a true, that's a sentence, but it doesn't fit with what I just asked you. I just asked you, hola, como estas? Which means, how are you? And if you say, I'm go, I, where's the bathroom? That's, now maybe you're saying how you are, but probably not. Probably you're saying the one line that you know, and yet when it comes to scripture, a lot of Christians know enough Bible vocabulary to be dangerous in our culture, or they misuse God's words on Facebook and social media, but they don't know how to actually put it into practice in the real world. They don't know how to use it in the right place. They don't know how to put it in the, in, in the right, they're not, they are biblically informed, but illiterate. Here's where the sermon, the only thing I'm trying to say today is this. You will be as strong as God's word is strong in you. You will be as strong because the word of God is going to bring joy. The word of God is going to bring wisdom. The word of God is going to bring endurance. The word of God is going to bring light. The word of God is going to bring warning. You will be as strong as God's word is strong in you. Our Scripture fluency that we have in our, in our core documents, it says this, the role of Scripture cannot be overstated. One of Jesus' very definitions of a disciple points directly to his word. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. The word abide means to remain or to linger, to spend time. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've heard people quote all of my Christian life. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's not the whole sentence. The whole sentence is, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Disciples are people who abide in the word. They prioritize hearing and reading, studying and meditating, and even memorizing the words of Scripture. So how do we get biblically literate? Number one, I've got just a few thoughts today. Number one, it starts by accepting 
the authority, aceptar la autoridad de la Biblia. Accepting the authority. Everyone say authority. I want to let you know I appreciate right now, obviously, this is a week where we're very aware of people that misuse authority. We are aware of law enforcement that has misused it and pastors who have misused authority and parents who have misused authority. But friends, I need you to understand the answer to misuses of authority is not the refusal of, of accepting real authority. The answer to bad authority is actually the right authority. And the right authority is God. You've got to accept. We, we, we already read where it says right here in Psalm 19, where I'm reading from, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. This word law, it's, it's Torah, Torah. It's, it's in the instruction. Jews would call it the way and the truth and the life. In Psalm chapter one, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law. In the law of his delight. He delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I was in a car recently with a, with a friend that they didn't have their seatbelt on. And modern cars are wildly annoying when you're not wearing your seatbelt because it starts to make a noise. Ding, ding, ding. And if you still know, it goes ding, 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 ding. To which I, I was like, could you put your seatbelt on? He's like, no, no one's going to make me. I'm like, um, you know, it's the law. And I remember hearing, no, it's not so much the law. It's more like a suggestion. And I'm like, oh, click it or ticket, we suggest. I get it. That's, and yet I talk to people all the time when it comes to the Bible. I'm like, you ask them, like, do you believe in the scriptures? You know, people. This is real common, like people that are going on dating apps and looking for a Christian. They find a good Christian guy on a, on a dating app and say, oh man, listen, man, I believe most of the Bible. But when it comes to sexuality, ah, it's a suggestion. You are made to hear ding, ding. And when you hear that, ding, 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 ding. There should be something that goes off in your mind that says, okay, wait a minute. The, there's gonna be a scripture fluency that begins when you accept the authority. Now, let me break this down, even with this word law. And I realize it's a hard word, law. This word law is referring to the entirety of the scriptures, okay? The word law will get used as a synonym for all of the Bible, everything that's in the scriptures, meaning from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, going into the Psalms, Proverbs, into the prophets. How do I know this? Well, one way I know this is because when you get to the book of, when you get to the life of Jesus, twice in Jesus's life, he's speaking to Pharisees and he says this, is it not written in your law? Now that's good. We're like, okay, yeah, Jesus was quoting from God's law. The question is, what was he quoting? And here's the interesting thing. He's quoting the Psalms, which are poetry written to music and songs for choir masters, like we just read here. In other words, Jesus takes a genre, and by the way, part of biblical literacy is recognizing poetry is different than prose. Historical books like Joshua or the book of Acts are different than prophets like Malachi or Jeremiah. 
Epistles are different than the Gospels. The book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book. There are, there are genres. You need to, to, be, to be, I don't know, intellectually honest. You, you want to read Genesis 1, creation account, which is poetry, different than Genesis 2, creation account, which is prose. I mean, so if we're just going to be honest, it's, you, you dig, you got to actually become literate. There's some literacy that comes there, right? Okay, but here's the point. Jesus even called poetry songs written to music. He called it the law of God. I need you to catch this. Scriptures tell us in 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. That people would say, David didn't know he was writing scripture. He didn't, but David's not the ultimate author God is. God knew David was writing scripture. David wrote a bunch of songs that didn't make it into Psalms because I don't believe they were scripture, but God was breathing. There are some things God was breathing on. I don't know that Paul knew every one of his letters was scripture, and yet Peter would affirm and say, there's many parts of things, that, many things that Paul writes that are hard to understand. He says, just like a lot of the other scriptures, Peter was affirming the scriptural integrity and authority that Paul's letters, especially the ones that we have, had. Number one, Accept the authority of the scriptures. If you have had a hard time with this, please talk to someone in your microchurch. Talk to a leader in our church or something like that. But you will not reap the rewards of God's word when you have not submitted to the authority of God's word. Number two, engage in exposure to the scriptures. You cannot become fluent if you have not been exposed. There's a lot of you in our church that I know love to show the office. And I've heard a lot of you, something pops up and, and you like quote the office. It's like, whoa, that's interesting how well you know the office, you know? In our family, like, we, we sort of know there are lines from Star Wars that we know. Like, I'm a Star Wars fan. I know a lot of Star Wars lines. And so there's a lot of things that pop up. We started watching the show The Chosen. And us and our kids, like, there's little lines from The Chosen. We play little games at times because, you know, we'll, I'll say, hey, what episode is this from? And they'll say, who said, oh, not too shabby? They're like, oh, that was Jesus to the leper. You know, who said, your faith is beautiful? Like, oh, that was Jesus to the, to the woman that was lowering down her friend. You know, and so there's all these little lines that, that we kind of have. Here, now, here's the catch. No one watching The Office downloads a transcript of The Office lines trying to impress people that they know the lines. They were just, I've literally had people tell me at home, when I get home at night, I just, I just have the office playing in the background. I'm like, that's weird, but there it is. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of playing. It just comforts me to hear it in the background. I'll tell you what it does do though. You're not, you're not even going super deep. You're just being exposed to the words. And next thing you know, and I'm not even going to say any of the lines. I don't, I don't know that I know a good, I maybe know one line from the office that I'm definitely not saying in a sermon, but... <laughs> But all I got to say is that there's something that happens when you are engaging in regular, ex constant exposure. This is, by the way, what happens when, when God gives the Shema and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And it says, you'll teach these to your children. Write it on the doorpost. Put it on your clothes. Put it on your frontlets. In other words, be exposed and exposed and exposed and exposed and exposed. That's why I listen to Christian music, not because it's better. It's often not. I listen to it because it exposes me to more of God's word. And part of what you do is you just do exposure to God's word. Interestingly, I also just want to point out, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. With all of your mind. I want to just get clear on this. Love the Lord with your mind, not just Pastor Mike's mind. Love the Lord with all of your mind, not just whatever TikTok influencer gave you a 60-second hot take on the Bible. 
not just some YouTube quack, not just some podcaster. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. I do want to bring good theology. I got no problem with you agreeing with what I say. But at the end of the day, you've got to love God with your mind, not just being a parrot of someone else's mind. Number three, how do we become scripturally fluent? Number three, we've got to take time to not just be exposed, but to go deep. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving or refreshing the soul. Hear me carefully. When you go deep in God's word, it begins to refresh you. I do not know how to explain how sometimes I read something fast and it doesn't do much for me. And then I go slow the heaven down and it begins to do something to my soul. The, the, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making, wait, wait, what does that mean, the testimony? Wait, wait, what does this mean, the testimony? Well, um, J.I. Packer in, in Knowing God, he talks about the, the perfect word of God and he says the word is Torah. It denotes instruction in all of its manifold forms, but the word of God has a threefold character. Number one, some of it is regulation. That's like commands, prohibitions. Some of it's regulation. Some of it is promise, conditional, unconditional promises. And some of it is testimony. That is information given by God about himself and people, their acts, purposes, natures, etc. So to become biblically fluent means you start knowing, and I'm going to get to this before we're done, you learn how to use it because promises are different than testimonies, which are different than, than commands. To become literate means, you, like when you're literate in English, you know the difference between a verb, an adjective, and an adverb. Even if you don't know the definition of adverb, you kind of learn how to use them wisely, right? So you learn to use language. When you become literate in scripture, you start learning, oh wait, this calls for a promise. This calls for a command. This calls for a testimony. This and you fill in the blank. But it watch, it takes going deep to start to do this. Now I'm going to see if I can do this. All right, this is what's called the hand illustration of the scriptures. All right, the hand illustration. So I'm going to draw a hand here. All right, not the best hand there ever was, but it's the second time I've done it in. I'll stick to preaching, not art, all right? So, when it comes to the Bible, like, what, are, what, are, what does it mean? Where are we trying to go with this? Well, reading and hearing are two ways of getting exposure to the Bible. For example, I read through the Bible in a year. When you're reading through the Bible in a year, I'm not doing deep reading. I'm just, I'm, like, when I'm reading through Leviticus, I'll be honest, I am blasting through a lot of Levitical law. I'm blasting through it. When I'm reading one of the genealogies, I'm just going to be honest, I'm reading it. I'm not like, and ha begot, I'm like, ooh, let you sit up, sorry. I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of reading. When I'm here, when I go to the gym, I'll be honest, at the gym, a lot of times I put on the book of Revelation. I, I go to the greenhouse app, I pull up, I let a guy read the book of Revelation to me, the Revelation of John which God gave him of things that will soon take place. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to John, things. And he goes through this. I'll be honest, I'm working out. I'm not, I'm not studying. And sometimes I even start talking to someone, it's still going. It's, it's kind of going in my ears the same way this dude told me that the office is going in the background. I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm just getting exposure. But after hearing, what, I, what there also is, is a need to study. You study the word. Now, this is when, when you study the word, this is when you start to do things like, we use words like exegesis. 
Exegesis means when you're, you're studying in a way that you're like, wait, I want to read out of it. I want to extract, take out X. I want to extract from the scriptures. What did it mean then and there? So when David, when I'm reading Psalm 19, when it says to the choir master, a Psalm of David, what exegesis would mean, oh, right, who wrote it? It was David. What's the genre? It's Psalms. It's literature. It's, it's poetry, right? It's to the choir master. That means there was music behind it. Hmm. Okay, wait a minute. So something's going on here with the music. What's going on? Who was this written to? Well, it was written to, to these Jewish people. Sometimes when you're reading it, you're going to find something like, this was written by David when he was in the caves, when he was running from King Saul. And you're like, oh, wait, well, that means something now because it means something differently. When I'm reading letter from a Birmingham jail, I'm reading Martin Luther King Jr. writing on pieces of newspaper from a jail. I'm like, oh, that informs what he's saying in some ways. So exegesis means, what did it mean then and there? But then hermeneutics, this would be a word that we would use that just means like interpretation. What does it mean here and now? So what would it have meant to them? That's exegesis. What should it mean to me now? So when I'm reading certain passages that talk about things like greet the brothers with a holy kiss, I didn't see a lot of you take that Bible verse literally today. I didn't see someone say, come up to daddy now. You know, I didn't see a lot of you doing that today. I didn't see a lot of you saying, man, get that chapstick ready. I see you, my brother. Bring those lips right over here for a holy kiss. I think a lot of you are like, I think... Back then, it meant something different than it means now. Greeting the brothers with a holy kiss probably means don't be a punk jerk that ignores people when they walk in rooms and when they come into the assembly, but be loving and kind. Let people feel like a million bucks that you see them. I think you are greeting the brothers with a holy kiss when you're like, oh, Matt, my, it is so good to see you. Like, I think what you're finding is you're, you're doing the exegesis and hermeneutics when you rightly divide God. Now, here's the catch. You will be thrown off if you do not study the word of God and if you've not been exposed to the word. When you're biblically illiterate, all you need to do is you go off to college and you have a professor say, well, your church probably says they take the word of God literally. But when's the last time you kissed someone with a holy kiss? Boom, gotcha. And, and, and you've got college students who are like, oh my gosh, it's so true. I guess we don't take the word of God literally. And it's like, wait, if you would just become biblically literate, you're not going to be tossed like with every wind of doctrine that comes along when someone says, oh, are the women covering their heads? Are you greeting the brothers with a holy kiss? Do people raise their hands when they do? And, and you'll start getting, oh my gosh, man, it's so true. Like, oh, I guess we're just disobeying the Bible. Well, actually, if you'll study the word and become biblically literate, you're gonna find that the word of God is gonna come alive. So number three, you gotta... You got to go deep. You have to choose to go deep. Number four, and, and this is when, but actually, when you're going deep, I will tell, I'll put this in here as well. I would also say you want to memorize. Another thing you can do is you can memorize the Bible. And then, and then I'm going to say meditate. The Bible says over and over and over again to meditate on God's word. Now, meditate means you chew on it. You chew on it. You chew on it. Like a tea bag. You keep putting the tea bag back in there. You keep, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Okay, wait. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called. And you keep chewing. I'm like, wait, wait. I've been, I've been called a child of God. Who does God, have I heard you call me? When's the last time your soul heard your Father in heaven Say, you're my daughter. The Bible says, behold. I mean, I think that means chill, stop, look, gaze. 
Let your breath be taken away. God forbid that we give general creation like a sunset over a mountain better meditation than we give the specific revelation that God has given us in his word. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. When you, when you memorize, you, memorization is a way of helping to, to have these. This takes things deeper. This is where it goes down deeper. Now, what they're doing, by the way, any of you that have kids, and they're, they're doing this hand illustration, they teach them, they say, all right, kids, read, hearing, study, memorize, meditate. And then the last thing they put down here is the, they kind of make a fist, and then they say, apply. They'll say, and then they take their hands and they go, apply. So we're going to practice so your kids won't shame you when we're done. Okay, ready? Ready, class? Here we go. Re- All right, give yourselves a hand, not too bad. Not too shabby. This is number four, to actively use the scriptures. And this is my burden right now. This is my burden. I keep meeting Christians who know the Bible and they don't know how to use it. Someone's mother just passed away and they say things like, well, at least she's in a better place. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with Christ as if that verse was ever supposed to be used in that setting. Or you'll hear people that they, they hear something that's, that's going on in, in culture. They hear something, and you watch this on social media all the time, and you're like, yes, I believe that Bible, but it's so out of place right now. The Bible says in Colossians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Well, wisdom means you know when to say it and where to say it. And how to say it. There's some verses that should never be said to someone else if there's not tears in your eyes. There's some things that should never be said until you have sat there and just listened and listened and listened first. Actively using the scriptures. And when, if, if I were to come to you and say, hey, what is, what is two plus four? What would you say? Imagine if you were like, I'd have no problem with that if you were four or five or six. But if you're 60 and you're like, we would say, I, yeah, you can count. Hopefully you'll get past fingers pretty soon. One of, my, one of the dilemmas I'm having is I'm watching believers. In Hebrews, it says, there's this one passage that says, by this time, you ought to have become teachers but you still need people to teach you the basic principles. I want to make something super clear. If you're new to Jesus, or if you feel like, hey, Mike, I'm biblically illiterate, trust me. I'm inviting you to go on this roller coaster journey to become fluent and literate in the scriptures, and I'm promising you're going to love this. But friends, there are some of us, some of you that have been knowing Jesus for a little while, I want to stir up in you a passion that the deepest desire for the Bible or the Word of God was not just when you were 19 and 21 years old. I get blown away when I meet the men that are in their 50s and the women in their 60s, even the people that have been in their 90s that are like, oh, I just, there's so much more I want to know of God. Those are my heroes. Gentlemen in your 30s, keep running after God. Ladies in your 40s, take the word of God out. You're like, well, I already read the whole Bible. Yeah, but has the Bible read you? 
Oh man, see the way you know is, you don't just read it, you don't just hear it, you do some study, you do some memorization, you do some meditating, and then you know how to apply it. In Matthew 4, I, I, this is where I find this most poignant. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, here's the saying, Jesus has been baptized by John the baptizer. When he gets baptized, it's beautiful. God the Father speaks to God the Son and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. As he says this, guess who descends upon Jesus? The Holy Spirit. So you got, by the way, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the same passage there. Jesus, he hears the Father say, this is my beloved Son. Immediately, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness where he gets tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. When he's, after 40 days, he's hungry. Duh, he hasn't eaten in 40 days. It's one of my favorite verses. After 40 days of not eating anything, he was hungry. To which I'm like, really, you know? So here he is, hungry, being tempted by the devil. The first temptation is, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Now what you're going to find is, of course he's hungry, and that's why there would be a temptation for food at that moment. But the first part is, if you are the son of God. Well, he just got baptized where he heard, this is my beloved. Satan tends to tempt us exactly in the areas where God has already spoken his word over us. When he goes to Eve, she was told, you can eat that and that and that and that. Eat the apples, eat the grapefruit, eat the, the pineapples. You can eat the pina colada tree. You can eat from the chicken parmigiana tree. You can eat from the pizza tree. You can eat from the sunny's all you can eat tree. There's only one tree you can't eat from. When Satan comes, the very first temptation was a temptation attacking the word of God. At that time, the Bible the whole Bible fit on a fortune cookie. It said, don't eat this. Okay? That's how long the Bible was at that time. And Satan's first test was a test on God's word. I need you to understand, stop being surprised when some TikTok influencer, YouTube weirdo, or some false prophet is gonna try to convince you that there's a new and improved way to read the scriptures, that there's a new enlightened way. I want you to see this. When you look back on your great-grandparents, and a lot of us scoff at our great-grandparents' retrograde beliefs, like we're so informed in this modern day, I need you to understand, your great-grandchildren are gonna look back on a lot of the things that you believe, and they're gonna scoff at your beliefs because it's called historical, it's just this, this historical hubris. There's like this idea of like, we're so much more beyond all these. What I want you to realize is God's word has been read by God's people for thousands and thousands of years now. And when God's people have said this for thousands of years and there are positions that get thrown out now where people are like, well, you know, this is, we, we, we now have this new enlightened thoughts. Friends, I wanna let you see something. If something's been being pushed for the last 30 years, there's an arrogance that only humility can drive us to say, wait a minute, God, the grass does wither, the flower does fade, but your word is gonna stand forever. It is fixed. The heaven and the earth are gonna pass away. Your word will never pass away. Listen, I, I'm not claiming that I can get all the interpretations right and our church does not get all of it right. I wanna let you know, man, we've gotta come with a humble approach. We have to be a humble church that acknowledges we can get things wrong. We can, okay? What I want you seeing, though, is that the, the lion's share of the, of the monster doctrines of Scripture, whether it's related to salvation and the exclusivity of Jesus or sexuality and, and the implications of morality that God has for us in business or finance or whatever that would be, there is a call of God that is, the problem is not that God's word is hard to understand. The problem is it's actually easy to understand a lot of it, but it goes against our culture and our preferences somewhere. 
And when it goes against your culture or preference, you've got to make the choice. I go with God when me and God are in disagreement. I have to. I have to. And then I've got to go put this into practice. And this is where I I know how to use it. So when Jesus was being tested by the devil and the devil tempted him, Jesus had a three-word pop. What were his three words? Anyone know? It is written. Satan tempts him again with another temptation. Hey, throw yourself off the temple mount. Jesus says, it is written. Pop. He gets tested again. Bow down and worship me. You can have all these kingdoms. Jesus says, it is written. I'm watching a lot of us try to beat the devil in a way that's different than Jesus beat the devil. I've heard people say, I was just struggling with all this anxiety. I just went and, and I, I hate to just keep throwing shade on the office, but I just, I just had to go watch the office for four hours to help me with my anxiety. How about it is written? Jesus knew how, and he didn't just say any old Bible verse. He knew what verse it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Sometimes what you need is a command. Sometimes what you need is a promise. So when, when someone's in a pit of despair, this is when you, gotta, when you become fluent. You, start, you know how to use the word baño. Like I, like I speak Spanish, but uh, like Puerto Ricans, we, like there's two words for armpit. Like one is sobaco, one is axila. All right, I don't even remember which one's inappropriate and I'm sure I offended someone just now. One of those, which one should you not say as much? Sobaco, sobaco. Everyone say axila. Listen, so what, what can happen is you can sometimes not know which word you should be using, you know? Like when you know the word, if someone's in a pit of despair, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the reason I don't fear is because you are with me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise. Sometimes we need a promise. Sometimes we need a command. Sometimes we need a testimony. Proverbs are different. They're they're wisdom. Sometimes you need a proverb. The only way you'll know, though, is when you have become literate in God's word. And some of you are like, Mike, I don't don't know how to use God's word. Good. Give Give us your heart surrendered to the word of God. And if you will help us through our microchurches, through our preaching, through, through two, two years at a time, it's going to take some time. What I'm telling you is if you'll learn the vocabulary, if you'll learn to put sentences together, if you'd be willing to apply it, if you're willing to put in some study, if you'll be willing, what I'm telling you is you are going to have a reality in your life where you will say, oh my God, your law is perfect. It refreshes me. Your testimonies, oh, look at these. They're they're short. They make me wise. Oh, my testimonies make me wise. Oh, my, the precepts of the Lord are right. They Man, I've got a joy challenge. I need the precepts of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Are you having purity problems? Go read some of God's commands. Get on some of those. You're like, okay, wait, God, it's odd. Sometimes you will read the commands of God, and you'll say like, David, I delight in your commands, oh, God. How could he delight in them? By doing this, read, hear, study, memorize, meditate. That's how he knows how to do it. We have up on the, up on the screen here a QR code. 
This will give you a reading plan that we're doing that if you would like a, an application from here, something you can do, this is something you could do. You could download this reading plan and this will kind of get you on this two-year journey that we have. You could pick it up at any time, on any day, and we're gonna walk you through and get that. There's gonna be a lot of other opportunities that we're gonna have. If you're like, oh, Mike, should I be embarrassed if I'm kind of illiterate now? No, let's just, we thought about changing the name of Greenhouse to Duolingo, and we would become <laughs> a place where we're gonna teach you <laughs> to walk in the word of God. But if that would help you, I'd love, I'd love you to do that. We're in conversations with Uversion, that we're gonna be able to do Bible plans with Uversion. If you've got that, if you get that, download that. Um, talking to the Bible Project. We're gonna be having things rolled out in a number of weeks where we're gonna be able to go through videos where, with, with ministries that are already there that would help us become biblically literate. But my desire in Jesus, I'm asking you that you make our church literate and fluent in your word. But here's how it ends, because I gotta talk about Jesus. I, if you're gonna become scripturally fluent, you're gonna have to recognize the big story of the scriptures because the big story of the scriptures is the gospel of the scriptures, which is the good news of Jesus. David says, who can discern his errors? We all have blind spots. De declare me, like David knew. It's like, wait a minute, I, I get your law, but God, I need you to declare me innocent because the same law that tells you what you should do reveals none of us do. All of us stumble. All of us have broken the commands of God and the heart of God. And, and there's a reality in which he says, I, I need you to declare me innocent. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. Don't let them have dominion over me. Like, how was that ever going to happen? Because when you read the Bible, you're going to read about Abraham and his faith, or Noah and his obedience, or Solomon and his wisdom, or David and his bravery. But here's the point. That's never going to be enough because... The ultimate Abraham is Jesus, who left his land of heaven to come to our land so that he could come and form a people for himself. The, the ultimate Noah was, was Jesus is the, is the greatest, the truest Noah there was. Jesus himself is the ultimate ark that when the storms of judgment and wrath come upon the world, those that have put their faith in Jesus enter into the ultimate ark that when the winds of wrath beat on the world, whosoever wants to can come into this ark and be saved and protected. The ultimate David is, is the truest David, which is the truest son of David, which is Jesus. That when he was bleeding drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane that he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he's the greatest courageous one. The greatest man of wisdom is Jesus himself. And in Jesus, we have redemption and we have power and we have wisdom from God. Which is why when Satan comes to, to Jesus and he comes to oppose him at everything that he does, he's just coming fresh off of a baptism. When Jesus comes out and John the baptizer says, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's the Lamb of God who declares people innocent. It's the Lamb of God that when you don't know how to discern your own heart, he does. And Jesus shows up in the water and he says, all right, now baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 you, I should be baptizing you. What? You should be baptizing me. Like, you should come out of the, you shouldn't be down in the water and me up here. I should be down in the water and you should be up here. But it's the story. John, you have to baptize me. 
Because if we're gonna fulfill righteousness, you need to know something about me. Satan's about to go tempt me to start a religion like every other religious leader in history has done. Use your power to turn rocks into bread. Use your power to call down angels. But John, this is the story. I am a teacher and I am wisdom and I am a truth teller and I am a prophet. But I am what you need. I'm a savior that has come to take your place. You should be down here in this water. I should be up there. But this is the story. I love you so much. I'm going to get down where you belong so you can be where I belong. And I'm going to start my public ministry the same way I'm going to end my public ministry. Because I'm going to go up on a cross. And when I'm up on that cross, anyone that knows him knows, Lord, I should be up there. And you should be down here. I should be getting wrath. You, you should be getting off scot-free. And he says, and that's the story. I've come in your place so you can stand where I deserve to be. That is called the gospel. That is called the gospel. And it is in the story of Abraham with his son. And it's in the story of Noah and the ark. And it's why you'll never be biblically fluent if you come away proud and arrogant in how much Bible trivia you know because only the gospel has the power to read you and humble you. I mean, that's the story, guys. I'm not making this up. I mean, it, it's the story. And there's no story better. There's no one better. I end it like this. I was reading this week the story of a French philosopher named Emile Callier from this small French village at the end of the 19th century. Staunch atheist, didn't have, had no place for God. His philosophical views were completely anti-God, but he was a soldier in World War I, and that kind of, I don't know, sobered him up in some ways. He wrote in his journal during the war, what use the ill-kept ancient type of sophistry and the philosophical banter of the seminar when your own buddy at the time of speaking to you is calling out for his mother. That's what made me think about it this week. A man dying on the field calling for his mommy right in front of you with a bullet in his chest. Is there any meaning to it at all? A man can endure anything if only it appears meaningful, but I felt not with my reason, but with my whole being that I was naked and I was war or no war destined to perish miserably when the hour came. What's gonna happen to me when I die? What's gonna happen to you? One night a bullet, in fact, hit Callier. A U.S. ambulance saved his life. He spent nine months in a hospital. He was finally discharged. He resumed his studies, but the books just weren't quite the same. They, they felt empty. Motivation was fading, something was missing. There was nagging of his mind and his soul. He wrote this, during long night watches in foxholes, I had in a strange way been longing, I must say it, however unusual it may sound, I was longing for a book that understood me. But I knew of no such book. Now I was in a secret place, I was, I was on a secret uh, to prepare one for my own private use. And so I went on reaching for my courses. I would find pages that would speak to my condition. And then I would carefully copy them in a leather-bound leather -bound book. I would always carry with me this book. It was my book. The quotations which I numbered in red ink for easier reference would lead me from fear and anguish and anxiety uh, through the variety of interviewing pages to the supreme utterance of, of, uh, of, of release and jubilation, hopefully. 
But when he reviewed his compilation, he realized there was a problem. It had no power for him because it was actually an invention of his own making. Coincidentally, on that very day that he was going through this, his wife had come in possession of a Bible in a very unusual way. She had stumbled upon a Huguenot chapel and there was a priest that was there. When she goes in, the old priest asked her if she had a Bible. She said, no, he gives her a Bible. She knew that was off limits in her house. But on that day, she took it home. In his deep disappointment, when she got home, his wife was apologizing profusely for having this book. And she told the story of how she got it, but he was curious. And so he took it out of her hands. He said, quote, I literally grabbed the book and I rushed into my study with it. I opened it and I chanced upon the Beatitudes. That's the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. I read and read and read now aloud with an indescribable warmth within. I could not find words to express my awe and wonder at the words I was reading. Suddenly I realized this book would understand me. I needed it so much, yet I was unaware. I had attempted to write my own in vain. I continued to read it deeply into the night, mostly from the Gospels. And lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one of whom they spoke and acted in them became alive in me. While it seemed absurd to speak of a book understanding a man, this could be said of the Bible because its pages were animated by the presence of the living God and the power of his mighty acts. To this God I prayed that night and the God who answered was the same God of whom was spoken in the book. And I was never the same. I love you for this, God. I love how you are. Is there one of you that needs to pray to that God? You've heard probably 60 or 70 scriptures today. Has he spoken to you? Has he warmed your heart that you know it's true? When I just gave a small snapshot of the gospel, did something inside of you let you know? He took my place. He's the one. There's no one like him. And the one that's him adores you. What amazing news is this? I do pray that you will apply yourself to the word like you never have. And my promise is he's gonna come alive in you like he never has. But if you're here and you have not yet prayed to the God of this book, I ask that the God of this book is gonna reveal himself to you now.